many of you remember going to vacation Bible school when you were a little boy or girl? Any of you? Many of you. All right. Most, most of you. All right. Vacation Bible school is at times set aside usually one, sometimes two weeks out of the summer in which uh, boys and girls come together for a real intensive time of uh, a Bible study. It's usually focused very, very uh, laser-like on the gospel, and uh, it will be this week. So uh, be praying for for boys and girls. Many people come to know the Lord during Vacation Bible School. Any of you were saved during Vacation Bible School? Do we have anybody here who got saved during when you were attending Vacation Bible School? All right, all right. Sandy was, okay. Um, I remember a lot of Vacation Bible Schools when I was a kid. Almost every one that I went to had a, a sp- very specific impact on me in a well, I remember the character stories, especially Glenn Cunningham and others like that that I remember hearing about. And then I remember one year our uh, our teacher had us memorize the uh, parable of the lost sheep and uh, the man who had a hundred sheep and one of them had gone astray and he left the 99 in his pen and he went out to find the one and and just the the impact of that never left me. I was maybe nine years old, and uh, it had such an impact on me as a nine-year-old, thinking that uh, that Jesus would go after just one lost sheep when all the others were safe in the fold. And so I didn't become a Christian at that time, but that story certainly stuck with me. And I appreciate so much those that have done all the decorating. <clears throat> uh, down the hallways and here at the front. And then, of course, most of our classes are going to be over in the uh, upstairs of the building behind us. And if you have an opportunity to walk through that and see all the decorations, it's just amazing. And I know there were a lot of people who uh, helped with that. I know Stephanie was kind of uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, directing. I started to say ramrodding. That doesn't sound right. But Stephanie was kind of uh, helping set everything up. And, of course, the Lavenders were here. And a lot of other people were here helping this week. And when I walked in yesterday and saw it, I was just totally blown away. Just, wow, it's just amazing. Every year. It seems like uh, our decorations for Vacation Bible School are just amazing. So thank you to all of you who helped with that. I want you to open your Bibles today to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 23. Jesus has uh, had this constant confrontation with the religious leaders of his day. It's uh, amazing to me when we read the story, the Gospels. In fact, I just some this last week I just went back and read through the Gospel of Mark, the whole Gospel of Mark, just kind of get a an overview of it. And and one thing that you notice, of course, is the activity of Jesus, his miracles, his teachings, his uh, his power. But uh, but you also notice that almost immediately he has this opposition. And his opposition does not come from worldly sinners. His opposition doesn't come from the down and outers or from the, from the uh, uh, people who are, are outcasts and looked down on in society. In fact, those people were actually drawn to Jesus. But his opposition came from the religious leaders of his day. Now, these were scribes and Pharisees. And by the way, the Pharisees were the most religious. They were the most 
quote, righteous people in, uh, uh, in Israel at that time. And you would have thought that they would have been the ones who would have recognized and welcomed Jesus. But what had happened is that their religion and their traditions and their self-righteousness had actually put a barrier between them and the Son of God who had come to show the Father to the world and to give himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And they didn't recognize him. As a matter of fact, they not only didn't recognize him, they actually despised him. And they despised him so much that they were the driving factor in leading him to the cross. And even though they couldn't do it physically, they had to get the Romans to actually do the crucifixion, they were the ones that actually were responsible for it. So as we read that and try to make some application, I constantly am asking myself the question, does my religious observances get in the way sometimes of my love relationship with Jesus and my love for other people. And if we're not careful, and that's exactly what had happened to the scribes and Pharisees, looked at by everybody as the finest people, the most religious people in town, and yet they were some of the least compassionate They were some of the most self-righteous. They looked at themselves and patted themselves on the back and said, wow, we are righteous. But Jesus looked at them and said, no, you're dirty. You have washed the outside of the cup and you've hung it up. I don't know if you've ever been to somebody's home where they've got the decorative cups uh, setting up in the cabinet or uh, hanging up or, or, or setting in a china cabinet or something like that, and they look so clean and so pretty. But he said, oh, you've washed the outside of the cup. You've got it sparkling clean. But if you take it down and look into it, it's got some dead spiders and some dirt, and it's a filthy on the inside. And he's... And, and he said, that is the way your life is. Oh, you've cleaned it all up. You've got it sparkling clean on the outside. But when God looks on the inside, he sees filth and rottenness. And so uh, you can see why they didn't much like Jesus. Because he told it like it was. And uh, he said to them, you have taken your traditions... And you have made them more important than the commandments of God. And the commandments of God, by the way, are not mainly about uh, external things. And Jesus asked, uh, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all the commandments? And it was to love God with all your heart and soul, and mind, and strength, and to love other people like you love your own self. And so all of the commandments could actually be funneled down and distilled into one word, and that is the word love. But the Pharisees had taken it, and they had not only tried to funnel it down into its essence, but they tried to expand it, and it was summed up in the word law. 
law. And so they felt that trying to keep the law uh, uh, meticulously, and not just the, the Torah, it's called the first five books of the, of the Bible, the law uh, uh, that we find in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but they had added to the law. And they had defined and expanded, and they had it just ridiculous stuff. And so part of this whole thing started with Jesus' disciples not properly, ceremonially washing their hands before they ate. And they, the, the Pharisees said, well, why, why, are you, why are your disciples violating our traditions? And Jesus said, look, the problem is not in hand washing. It's not in dirty hands. It's in a dirty heart. And so this is what we're going to read today. Jesus said, beginning in Mark chapter 7, verse 14, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. So he's saying, what I'm about to tell you is really, really important. Listen, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. The word defile actually means to make dirty in the sight of God. So he says, eating with unwashed hands or eating certain foods is not going to defile you in the presence of God. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So again, Jesus is saying, this is really important what I'm saying to you. And, and it's important what he's saying to us here today. So when he had entered into a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him. In other words, what you eat is not going to make you not right with God. Now, by the way, I know that some of you will say, well, but didn't didn't God in Leviticus 19, didn't God give some foods that were clean and some that were unclean? And yes, he did. But they were not, that was not what made people right with God. A person could eat unclean food and still have a heart that was right toward God. And Jesus is going to make that. Thank you, sir. I heard about a preacher one time that he had a Bible verse for everything. I mean, no matter what happened, he always had a Bible verse that he'd quote. And all the kids in the church, they were, they were always, they were actually do things to try to see what kind of Bible verse he'd quote. And one Sunday he was preaching, and he was right in the middle of a sentence, and he took a big breath in and a bug flew right by his mouth and he he inhaled that bug and uh, all the kids looked at one another like what's he gonna say about that so he got his composure back and he said he was a stranger and I took him in (laughs) so I don't know if I'd have a verse if I were to swallow this cough drop all right so, uh, so Jesus said to his disciples, he, is he, he gathered with just his disciples, and they said, 
explain what you're talking about. And he said, are you without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters a man from the outside, that, that doesn't defile him. That doesn't make him not right with God because it does not enter his heart, but it goes into his stomach, and then it's eliminated. Thus, Jesus declared all foods to be clean here. So, and by the way, one of the commentaries I read on this said that if you were to look at, at this passage today, you, we don't think a whole lot about it, but it said this was probably one of the most shocking statements that Jesus made in his, uh, in his preaching, in his teaching ministry. said the people, especially the Pharisees, would have absolutely been uh, um, angered by such a statement as that because he basically was saying, all of the food laws, they had their place. They served a, a particular function, but none of them actually made people right with God. And these Pharisees, they were so meticulous about everything as to what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, what they would eat and what they wouldn't eat. So Jesus said, look, food is not the issue because what you eat, no matter what it is, it goes into your stomach, but it doesn't go into your heart. And after a while, it passes on out of the body, and it's gone. So, so he said, what comes out of a man, that's what defiles a man. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus actually explained that what comes out of our mouth is so important because what's in our heart is what comes out of our mouth. And so the issue is the inner part, the inner man. It's what comes out of a man that defiles him. Then he's going to go into some explanation here. And uh, in verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed. And then he gives a list of like 13 things that come out of the heart. And this is not a comprehensive list. doesn't cover everything. But he said, there proceed evil thoughts, that is, evil motives. That's uh, the intentions. The word, actually, the Greek word is, is the word that, that means the intentions. And so he said, uh, it's possible, for instance, to do a good thing with evil intentions. And most of us have felt that challenge from time to time. So he said, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. And by the way, this is pretty much just a, a list here of, of the last five commandments uh, of the Ten Commandments. Wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So the point that Jesus is making here and that I want to make is that, well, first of all, it's not, he's not saying that food is not important. Um, as I was reading through this, I was thinking, you know, somebody could go away and say, well, it doesn't really matter what I eat, how much I eat or anything like that. 
as far as your relationship with God, it really doesn't. But God has given us all things richly to enjoy, but he also expects us to be sensible and not eat, uh, not eat uh, unhealthy things and not eat too much of things, and especially not to eat too much of unhealthy things. And so while it may not affect our relationship with God, it does affect our health, what we eat. So he's not saying here that food is unimportant, but he's saying that food is not to be the focus when it comes to righteousness. And um, you can eat very, very unhealthy things and still go to heaven. In fact, you might even get there sooner because uh, uh, food does have an effect on us physically, but it does not have an effect on us as far as our relationship to God. But what his point is here is that sin is an inside job. In in all of our life, there are external observances of what we would call religion, religious activities. And uh, the Pharisees were masters at pulling that off. They absolutely did all the right things, but they did it for all the wrong reasons. They did it to be seen of men. Jesus said the Pharisees, they gave their money, they said their prayers, they fasted, but they did it all just to be seen of men so that people would brag on them and people would say, wow, they're so religious. They, they must really be the best people in town. And all the time, God was looking at their heart, and he was saying they need a new heart. Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, he was one of the main, he was one of the 70 leaders of the entire Jewish nation, and he came to Jesus one night, and uh, he said, Good master, we know that nobody can do the things you do unless God is with him. And Jesus didn't even discuss that with him. Jesus cut right to the chase, and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. And I tell you, God would look at us and all of us, and he would say, what are you depending on to be right with God? What are you counting on? You say, well, you know, I go to church every Sunday, and I do this, and I do that. And I, all those are good things. And in fact, the things the Pharisees did were good things. But Jesus is asking the question, why do you do those things? What is in your heart? You see, a person could read his Bible, and I, I mean, I read my Bible every day, and I have a reading chart and all this kind of stuff. Even this week, as I was thinking about this message, I thought, you know, am I reading my Bible because I love God, because I delight in it, because I really enjoy it, because I feed on it? Or is I thinking, oh, well, this is Thursday, and I'm supposed to read these verses today, these chapters today. I want it to be a love relationship. And God's Word, God's Word to us is not something 
for us to be legalistic about. It's something for us to delight in and to, uh, and to receive his expression of love. When my wife and I were dating about 52 years ago, uh, in fact, 52 years ago this, this summer, she was uh, given an opportunity to do some mission work up in East Tennessee while I was pastoring a little church in West Tennessee. Tennessee's a great big state across, and so about 400 miles between us. And so every day I would write her a letter, and every day she would write me a letter. And the little church I was pastoring didn't pay me enough for me to live on, so I had a second job working at a cotton mill from 11 at night till 7 in the morning. So I'd get home about 7.30 in the morning and had worked really, really hard in this cotton mill all night long. But my mail delivery didn't come until about 10 o'clock. And so I would get home just dog tired. But I said, I'm not going to bed till the mailman gets here because I know he's going to bring me a letter from, from Carol. And sure enough, I'd hear him coming. I'd run down the sidewalk to meet him. I'm not joking. I was eager to get that letter. And I'd take that letter in the house, close the door, and I'd smell of it first. Because mm, she always sprayed a little perfume on it of some kind, you know. And I'd smell it, and I'd, oh, I smell just like her, you know. And, uh, and then I would open that letter. And I'd read it all the way through first, just, oh, delight in it. Just uh, she would tell me how much she cared about me and things like that. And she'd say the sweetest things. And I'd just read that letter. And then after I read it all the way through, I'd go back and I'd read it just line by line. Listen, just every, every word even. And then I'd put that letter under my pillow and lay down and sleep on it, you know and dream about her. And I thought, wouldn't it be something if uh, she called me and said, well, have you gotten my letters this week? And I said, well, yeah, I got them. But, you know, you misspelled uh, two words, uh, and, uh, and, and you didn't use the right verb uh, uh, subject uh, uh, combination. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I actually, I only read about half of, of it because I thought, well, if she can't, write better than this, I'll just wait, well, click, hello, that would have been a mess, wouldn't it? Well, look, I think sometimes we pick up the Bible and we read it almost like it's an obligation rather than a delight, and this is what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, I know you've got, you've got thousands of verses memorized, you really delight I mean, uh, in the praises of men and you bask in their praise and you think, well, we know more Bible than, than the common people do. But he said, when I look at your heart, I see greed, I see anger, I see blasphemy, I see slander, I see lust, I see pride and said, that ruins the whole thing. And when God looks at our heart, 
What he wants to see in our heart is humility and faith and genuineness. Where we are loving him, and that doesn't mean that externals are unimportant. It just means that externals must be from internal or they really don't do us any good and they certainly don't impress God. So my prayer today would be, in fact, I think Tracy was playing. Didn't you play uh, uh, Change My Heart, O God? Wasn't that one part of the offertory? uh, We didn't. We didn't collude on that, but it just worked out that way. Because I would say that would be the, the song for us to sing. Change my heart, O God. Make me ever true. Change my heart, O God. Let me be like you. And then we need to pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God creating me a clean heart. And it's possible to have a new heart, to be a Christian, not have a clean heart. And God wants us to let his word. You see, there are two cleansing agents mentioned in the Bible. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That is the defiling, the condemning sin of unbelief. But then the word is like water. The Bible says that we are cleansed with the washing of the water by the word. And so as I read and as I take in God's word and I delight in it and I enjoy it and I love it and I I read it and let it like a, a flowing stream just dislodge any impurity and push it on out of my life. I've read somewhere that almost anything can be made clean if you put it in a mountain stream and just let cold running water run over it, even a, a, a greasy brick, if you put it in there long enough, that constant flow of the clean, pure water will dislodge every impurity. And if you've ever been up into the Smoky Mountains or somewhere like that and have reached down into a, one of the st- stream beds, You pick up those rocks, and they are just polished and clean, absolutely beautiful. And every time I do that, I think, you know, as I let the water of the Word just flow over me, it dislodges impurities, and it helps create in me a heart that is clean before God. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word. Lord, I I delight in your word. And I know there are times as I read it that it uh, it stings me a little bit. It, it convicts me. But then it also cleanses me. I thank you that like a mirror, it shows me what needs to be cleansed. And then it makes me clean. And I pray for all of us today, Father, that you will create in us a clean heart. And that we could sing change my heart, oh God, make it ever true, change my heart, oh God, let me be like you, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.